You're listening to a sermon from Red Door Church in Melbourne. For more information, go to reddoorchurch.com.au. Of our church Bibles, you can find it on page 473. Let's read together. Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger. Do not discipline me in your wrath. Be gracious to me, Lord, for I am weak. Heal me, Lord, for my bones are shaking. My whole being is shaken with terror. And you, Lord, how long? Turn, Lord, rescue me. Save me because of your faithful love. For there is no remembrance of you in death. Who can thank you in Sheol? I am weary from my groaning. With my tears, I dampen my bed and drench my couch every night. My eyes are swollen from grief. They grow old because of all my enemies. Depart from me, all evildoers, for the Lord has heard the sound of my weeping. The Lord has heard my plea for help. The Lord accepts my prayer. All my enemies will be ashamed and shake with terror. They will turn back and suddenly be disgraced. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning, everybody. Hello. Um, If you haven't met me before, my name is Jemima. Um, I've been at Red Door since... 2018. I went away for a few years. I was serving in university ministry with Australian Fellowship of Evangelical Students. And if you don't know what that is, definitely come and ask me later. Um, I was in university ministry and that involved mentoring students, reading the Bible with them, running outreach events and that sort of thing. I've been back for a few months, quite a few months, um, and I have the utmost privilege of sharing with you from God's word today. So before I begin, I'm going to pray and then I'll jump into it. Okay. Uh, Father God, I pray that what I share will be honouring and pleasing to you, my Lord, my Saviour. I pray that it will be a blessing to anyone who is here today. Um, I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so I thought I would start with a story. A few years ago, I was caught out in Warnable due to a flat tyre. This, this wasn't the first time that something like this had happened to me. Um, I had had another incident involving kangaroos not that while ago not that while prior. This time I was driving to Warrnambool for a wedding. I must have hit something on the way there because I I hit something and uh, I just ignored it. I kept driving because I was really anxious to get to this wedding. It was somebody that I used to serve with in Beach Mission not that long ago. So if I had realized, um, I probably could have fixed it and it would have been okay, but I didn't. And I did get to the wedding and the wedding was lovely but I forgot about it again on my way home. And so I drove on this flat tire and I was on the highway and somebody um, beeped at me and I realized something's wrong here. So I pulled over and yes, the tire was in complete shambles. It was, you know, couldn't recover from it. It was a mess. So I wonder what would you do if you were stuck in a situation like me? It It was my fault. I could have definitely realized sooner. For me, it's my dad. 
my dad's here today. Hi, dad. Um, <laughs> and he he just he just knows how to calm me down. It's in his job description. So um, he kind of helped sort it all out. We got the car towed back to Warnable. My friends came and picked me up. It was it was all good. But the point is, in that situation, I knew who to call. What happens when things are more complicated? When things aren't so straightforward? I've had those hard times too. Things that haven't resolved overnight, but have instead persisted. And I have a feeling I'm not alone in this. We've all had times in our life when we felt concerned by something that we're feeling or what we're experiencing. Kind of like the psalm that we've read today. Um, there are times of joy and times of sadness, sometimes more joy, sometimes more sadness. Live on this earth even just a day and you're likely to experience all those feelings, maybe in 24 hours. Kind of like how Melbourne can be. All those four seasons in a day, right? So I wanna ask you, who do you turn to when it all gets too much? Who or what do you turn to when you're on your last legs? I wanna take stock of where we've been. It's February, New Year's was not that long ago. We like to think that we have a fresh slate, but maybe there's just something that you can't shake. By the end of this talk, I hope and pray that you'll be encouraged to tell God how you're feeling in it all. The good, the bad, and the ugly. So let's get into it even more. We're in a series called Summer in the Psalms. It's a red door tradition. And I wanna ask you how you feel about the Psalms. You might, may love spending time in the Psalms, use it in your devotional reading, memorize it, use it to model your prayers. These are all good things. These are helpful things to memorize scripture. Verses which contain truths about what God is like, like in this verse, the Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and, my, and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. So good. The Psalms often have vivid pictures that help us think about these truths and conceptualize them rather than just something to memorize. When I think of God, I can see him as my strength and my rock in whom I can find refuge. But like I asked you before, how do you feel about the Psalms? Do you find them helpful? Do you use them to model your prayers? Or do you find them a bit tricky, confronting, like this Psalm in particular? Perhaps you prefer the wisdom of the Proverbs or go straight to the New Testament to read about the life and light of Jesus found in the Gospels. Well, the Psalms are really special. They're actually a hymn book. Um, they're songs that were sung by the Israelite people, something that's been drawn out in previous weeks. We know that many have been written by King David, like the one that we've read today, but there are other Psalms that are attributed to other ancient authors. You might find a lot of similarities between the Psalms. They cover a lot of the wide extent of human emotions, expressing concern at worldly injustice, seeking God's guidance, trusting in his goodness, relying on God's deliverance or his mercy, and the Psalms of praise. Today's psalm is a psalm of confession. David, the psalmist, is laying himself bare before God after grappling with a private situation, something that is making him afraid of God's righteous anger and people, his enemies. David is crying out to God, seeking to be heard by him. Today's passage is a sobering one. 
It invokes feelings of hopelessness and physical agony. So, I want to take a temperature check. How are you feeling right now? Maybe you're bracing yourself. This isn't something that we talk about. I want to remind you that um, the Bible has the spectrum of um, human emotions and experiences. In the book of Ecclesiastes, yeah, that's up there. In the book of Ecclesiastes, um, chapter three, verses one to four, a book found near the Psalms, we find this. There is a time for everything, a season for every activity under the heavens, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. The reason why I share this is because I want to show from the Bible that there is a time for everything, including the emotions found in this psalm. There is space for us to feel the emotions that arise from every season. Here it is made clear that um, even in the midst of whirlwinds of emotions, we, need to be able to, we should be able to, be able to talk about these things. In our culture, it may feel taboo to acknowledge some of the challenging emotions we face, and it is hard to talk about, it is. But nothing is too hard for God, and there will never be a time where he won't hear you, and all these things, he is there, even if it doesn't seem that way. So, if you find yourself identifying with the words of David, take heart, you will come to see just how willing he is to hear your pleas for his aid. So we'll open up scripture, um, beginning with verses one to three. Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger. Do not discipline me in your wrath. Be gracious to me, Lord, for I am weak. Heal me, Lord, for my bones are shaking. My whole being is shaken with terror. And you, Lord, how long? What is going on with David here? Like I've said, he's nervous. He's done something and he's consumed with fear what God might do. He's in a vulnerable state at the end of his rope, concerned that what he has done is worthy of God's wrath. How did David get here? How could it be this bad? He's just throwing himself at God's feet. I mean, who do you turn to when you're anxious or distraught? David is clear, he's going straight to the um, feet, of the feet of his God. Um, here how he talks about his state though. He's not just mental, it's not only spiritual, it's a physical reality. He might even be cr crouched down as he's talking to God. He says, heal me Lord, for my bones are shaking. And I'm picturing somebody that's utterly shivering. In the NIV it says, um, my bones are in agony, shaking agony. This is confronting. My be worth taking um, a step back and thinking about who David is. So if you grew up in the church, you would know David as a giant slayer or as the king of Israel. He was an important figure. We first encounter him as a humble shepherd, the youngest of his family. And like I said, one of the most famous stories is how even with the odds stacked against him, with no armor, he faces the Philistines, the enemy of his people, and Goliath, mammoth that he was. And with, armed with only a few pebbles and a sling and God at his side, manages to defeat him. 
God seized David's heart and uproots the first king of Israel, Saul. Saul, who was blatant in his disregard for God's commands. And because Saul had rejected the word of the Lord, God had rejected him from being king of Israel. And we hear it being said of David in 1 Samuel 13, 14. The Lord has sought out a man, that is David, after his own heart and appointed him ruler of his people. David was a man of honor. Even in the time of transition between Saul and David, David is shown to act towards mercy towards Saul, even though Saul made David fear for his life. And David ultimately rises to become the king of his people, the king of Israel. But being a human, he is valuable and flawed. He had his personal values too. He abuses his position of power and, in, and, an enim, and has an affair with Bathsheba, a woman who was not his wife and already married to a man in Israel's army. Bathsheba falls pregnant and David tries to cover his tracks, but his plans don't work. But it ultimately leads to the demise of Bathsheba's husband in battle, Uriah. And the consequences of David's actions are felt for generations. When it comes to Psalm 6, we don't know what David has done that has, that has him concerned about God's wrath, but we know it's enough to invoke such feelings of helplessness and dread. So let's step back again and think about who God is to David. For David, he has grieved his God, the great I am. We fail to consider the depths of who God is often. God who can somehow be all-powerful and gentle like a mama chicken with her babies. God who can be bringer of justice and all-merciful. For David, he would have known God to be powerful from stories told about God through the generations. A God who acts, a God who saves, evidence in how he acted with his forefathers. That's David's forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Miraculous stories of redemption, of being provided for and chosen. David has chosen to turn to God, pleading with feelings of desperation. He's shaking, he's in agony. So let's jump back into where David is right now and where he's feeling. David, shattered by his state, is feeling sadness, a grief that is seemingly on the far end of spe spectrum of human emotions. We've already talked about how there are seasons for everything, and that includes emotions. Um, the six most commonly described human emotions are the following. Happiness, sadness, fear, disgust, anger, and surprise. David is seemingly feeling a mix of at least two of these, sadness and fear, maybe more. Maybe he's also angry at how he's feeling. So we might need a bit more help to get into the heart of things. Brene Brown, a researcher and storyteller in her own words, has spent much of her career as a social scientist unpacking things like courage, vulnerability, shame, and empathy. She defines anguish in her book, Atlas of the Heart, in this way. Anguish is an almost unbearable and traumatic swirl of shock, incredulity, grief, and powerlessness. The combination of these experiences not only takes away our ability to breathe, feel, and think, it comes for our bones. Anguish often causes us to physically crumple in on ourselves, literally bringing us to our knees. I think this is a pretty apt description of where David finds himself. He's desperate, pleading, 
begging with God not to treat him the way that he deserves, that sense of powerlessness that comes from being at the mercy of God. After all, where else can David go? Anything else that David might have chosen would have just been running away from his problems. All he has in his arsenal, really, is to submit himself to the floor of God's mercy, and with his words, he attempts to explain to God his precarious state. Almost like, I feel faint, I need your healing, God. I'm feeling deep agony in my bones, and it's brought me to my knees. David is fearful of the Lord and yet relies on this truth about God's character, that he is merciful. This aspect of God has been described in Exodus 34, 6 and 7 in this way. So, who is the Lord? The Lord is the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. This is David's God, the God of justice and mercy. David fears him as the bringer of justice, but he also knows that God is the only one that he can turn to. Which leads me to verse four. Turn, Lord, rescue me, save me because of your faithful love. David is telling God to save him. Why? Because of his unfailing love. This is a big deal. We might read this and just faithful love, completely glance over it. Um, let's put it back to you now. What do you mean when you throw around the word love? Is it different to the love that's been talked about here? We often treat love too casually, like a catch-all word for all sorts of things, like a drunk drawer that has too many things in it that aren't related to it, except that they fit in the drawer. We are so careless when it comes to love. You might say, I love pizza. I might say, I love tacos. You might say, I love my memory foam pillow. I might say something else. I mean, we all gotta do what we gotta do to get a good night's sleep, right? But that's just not what's being talked about here. Unfailing love is a translation of the Hebrew word hesed. I'm no Hebrew scholar, but I feel like this is a really important concept. It's, it's, a, it's, like, a, it's like a crucial point in, when we think about God and, and his love to us, because his love is, is not just love, it's his commitment, even when we mess up on our end. If you just think about love when it's good, it, it's kind of hollow. Because when rubber hits the road, that's when the that's when the cr the crux of it is stands. That's when the rubber hits the road. Even when you mess up, even when you're not faithful, God is still committed with His unfailing Hesed love. And so David says, "Save me because of Your unfailing love." Because after all, what else does David have to hold on to? Verses five to seven. For there's no remembrance of you in death. Who can thank you in shoal? I'm weary from my groaning. With my tears, I dampen my bed and drench my couch every night. My eyes are swollen from grief. They grow old because of all my enemies. We have this opportunity to see David continue to describe how he's feeling. And it's seemingly getting worse. It's getting dire. He's scared for his life. And he's trying to 
plead with God, he's having this exchange with God. His vivid descriptions of my vision falls because, fails because of grief. And he still has these bids to try and acknowledge God and praise him as God rightly deserves. There's no immediate solution to how David is feeling. And we also know that he's not just scared for himself and what he's done, he's also scared of enemies as well, adding another layer to, this, to his suffering plight. David knows about God's unfailing love, but in the moment, does he feel that God cares? Is that a real reality for him? For David, he's bringing his emotions, even these dark, ugly feelings, these feelings of doubt or uncertainty to God. He takes great pains to tell God how he's feeling, even in his, in his like kind of dire state. Um, below, I've paraphrased Charles Spurgeon. He's sometimes known as the Prince of Preachers, and he had lived experience of depression, and he also went through some immense tragedy as well. Um, so I paraphrased in the italics, and then, um, quote is in quotation marks. So our tears convey our sorrow to God. Isn't it sweet to believe that our tears are understood by God even when we have no words to speak? Our tears are like liquid prayers. My God, I will weep when I cannot plead, for you hear the voice of my weeping. While David is expressing immense pain and grief, even when he's distraught, he's telling God. He's telling God how he's feeling. That's the main thing here. God, God, is, knowing, God is known by David. It's moments like these when we come to know who we are, who we turn to when we're at the end of the, our rope. Verses 8 to 10. Get away from me, all you evildoers, because the Lord has heard me crying. The Lord has listened to my request. The Lord accepts my prayer. All my enemies will be ashamed and completely terrified. They will be defeated and ashamed instantly. You can see a change in tone here. He's emboldened. He's gained strength. He's now saying, the Lord has heard me. This is David's response of praise. And it's, it's definitely reassuring. We don't know how much time has elapsed from this shift from lament to praise. But we see this um, clearly in David. Away from me, all you evildoers. The Lord has heard me crying. There's some things we don't know. Is David still in danger? Has the circumstances changed? We don't know. But we know that David has experienced a significant perspective shift. He, his acknowledgement of his state and all its messiness, his grievous actions that have offended God, and his desire to turn to God has opened the door for God's mercy. I keep asking this, but what is the first place you go to when you're at your wit's end? When we, when we first meet David at the start of this psalm, he's, he's depressed. He is pleading, begging, desperate, but, we, but he closes the psalm with acceptance. By sharing his emotions with God, he's opened the door to repentance, which has in turn restored David's peace of mind, the chance to taste God's mercy. We too are invited to put aside our ego and to turn to God instead. He hears our cries and accepts our prayers and brings healing to our wounded souls. The psalmist David ends his 
some confident as he puts his hope in the Lord. Let's now examine ourselves. What might this be saying to us? Um, first, God desires relationship with us, and tell, so you should tell God how you're feeling. Where are you at right now? Are you stuck in a holding pattern, unsure of what to do because of how you feel or what you've done, or the circumstances that you find yourself in? Tell God how you're feeling. There's another choice that you have too. Earthly created things. And it's the things that we all do. We can numb ourselves with social media or entertainment. We go to Google first before anything else. You might turn to books or shopping. There's also online shopping. Anything, it could be anything, fill in the blank. These things are not bad in and of themselves, but they can draw us away from seeking help from our Heavenly Father. Why do we have that choice? Because God gave us that choice. So, what might telling God look like in the day to day? God, I want to trust you, but I'm wrestling with unbelief. God, I know you're good, but I keep messing up. I keep hurting myself and my loved ones, and I don't know what to do. God, I believe you, but what do I do about my feelings? Why do you do this? Why tell God how you're feeling? Because we know that God is not indifferent. He acts in ways that are mysterious, that we may not see or fully understand. God is not unaware. He has a clear vantage point of all the things happening here on earth. God is present with you at every scene, at every hurt, at every moment of despair. Next, don't stay in the feeling. Remember truth. Remember God's great love for you. When you are telling God how you're feeling, remember his unfailing has said love. Remember, we live in the light of Jesus. There is no better example of God's Hesed unfailing love than that found in the person of Jesus Christ. We know the depths God will go to to rescue us. Jesus, who experienced deep anguish and suffered immensely and assured our salvation by paying the punishment of our sin that is our grievance against God. Remember, Jesus was tortured, abused, spat at, accused, betrayed, in exchange for personal gain. Our God is intimately aware of our suffering, and that includes what David's expressed here in this psalm. The only difference, Jesus did nothing wrong. Romans 5 verse 8 says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus, who was God in the flesh, knows us, and he loves us, and he died for us and he was raised to life so that we may have freedom from the sting of death. We can have freedom in him. You might, not, you might be sitting here today not knowing where to start. Your shame has left you frozen. You might be sitting here today feeling like you've said everything, but God, your pain still goes on. You might be somewhere in between. Just know that God is present with you at every scene, at every hurt, at every moment of despair, and we can cling to him. 
there are times when we might not be able to say how we're feeling. So what do you do when you don't know what to say? Well, you have the Psalms to encourage and model your prayers, but we also have this encouragement also from Romans that when we are left particularly weak, we can appeal to the Holy Spirit who will approach God on our behalf. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. That's Romans 8.26. So, let us not follow our default instincts and hide from God, but approach the throne boldly instead. So, who do you turn to when you need help? When I have a flat tire, I call my dad. When I am feeling like irredeemable, I will tell God how I'm feeling. Psalm 6 models a way for us to um, share our expressions, our emotions to God. It also serves as a reminder that our prayers can include the full spectrum of our experiences. God can hear it all, even in these moments of despair and vulnerability. We can be more confident, knowing that we have the Holy Spirit who intercedes for us before the Father, through the power of Jesus, and what he achieved for us in his life, death, and resurrection. Let's follow David's example and come to God, our Heavenly Father, unafraid, knowing that God will always accept us with the confidence that God hears our cries in the midst of our circumstances. I'll pray for us now, and I wanna pray remembering that God is faithful and he hears us. Um, Father God, I pray that, I thank you for the psalm, I pray that in all things that um, we will come to you, God, first. I thank you that you hear us, and I pray that we will submit ourselves to you and your faithfulness to rescue us. I thank you that you're somehow well, just and merciful, and I praise you for this truth about you. In Jesus' name, amen. Mm-hmm.